Hey, welcome, welcome. If you've uh, never been to Chi Alpha before, I just want to say hello, and uh, hopefully you feel welcome and part of the family. Uh, and uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, make sure you uh, come say hi. Uh, and uh, my wife Erin is here somewhere. Uh, I can never find her. Um, oh, there she is. Hi, Erin. All right. You, you look great. You look great. She has the pregnancy glow going on right now. It's wonderful. It's just wonderful. Uh, uh, baby is actually uh, just, we just crossed into the third trimester, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Uh, some family business we need to just uh, want to point out. We have a, a special guest here tonight. My friend Caitlin is here. Uh, Caitlin, can you stand up? Yeah, you can. I believe in you. Caitlin, everybody. All right. So Caitlin is actually from a Chi Alpha way down south uh, and uh, in the lower 48. She uh, is part of our AKSP ministry, Alaska Student Partnership, and the What I Have initiative, which challenges Chi Alpha alumni, not just from our Chi Alphas, but from the Chi Alphas all over the world to use their degrees uh, to come and be teachers in Alaska and to start discipleship movements in villages. And so uh, Caitlin is actually part of the team teaching out in the village of Akiak. So how many people know where Akiak is at? All right, that means that the rest of you need to ask her where Akiak is at. And uh, if the Lord is, you know, maybe tugging you to use your degree for a reason more than just getting a college or getting a paycheck, uh, ask her about what that would look like to use your degree to go and be a person of influence in a village. So uh, with that being said, also, uh, we had Encounter this weekend, which was incredible. How you had fun at Encounter? Yeah, we had a great time with Paul. If you if you if you missed out, uh, we can fill you in on on what was talked about. Uh, but uh, we went sledding uh, or we went tubing, I guess, on Saturday as well. Um, it got back to me that somebody said that I looked like a dork with <laughs> with my helmet and goggles on. All right. Okay, yes, I was the only person wearing a helmet on the tubing hill. I was the only person with ski goggles on the tubing hill. But I thought I looked good, all right? All right, so we're just going to... Now, I'm not going to single this person out and say, who said that I look like a dork? I'll give you a hint. Her name starts with an L and ends with an Orin, all right? Uh, and... And I just wanted to take a quick little survey. Now, how many people would have, on the cool to dork spectrum, how many people would have thought I, I was more on the cool side? All right? All right? All right, I think, that, I think the hands, those hands win. All right, I'm not, not going to go back. All right, how many people think I was on the dorky side? All right? Now, how many people think I was so dorky I had actually wrapped around the other side and I was now cool? Raise your hand. All right. That's kind of what I was going for, all right? I, w I was going for dorky cool. So I guess, Lauren, you and I are both right, all right? Anyways, we had a lot of fun. Uh, God did a lot this weekend, and we were super pumped about it. And so uh, we're going to have some testimonies of some things that the Lord did in weeks to come. Tonight, 
We are going to jump into part one of our Love, Dating, and Relationship series. Next week, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Aaron and I are going to be teaching together. Uh, we have a ton of fun. It'll be a great uh, time to invite a friend to Chi Alpha, uh, or as Nicole says, in, invite that special someone to Chi Alpha. Uh, tonight, though, we're going to start by talking about healthy friendships, because you uh, essentially... You're not going to be somebody who is successful in dating. You're not going to be somebody who is successful in marriage if you can't have successful friendships. Essentially, and and this is just maybe like a, a, a piece of free advice for you. If you are interested in somebody uh, and you're like, ooh, I think I might want to date them, and you start to get to know them and this individual doesn't have any healthy, close friendships in their life, more than likely, that is a red flag. If they can't maintain a healthy friendship, they're probably not going to maintain a healthy dating relationship, and they most definitely will not maintain a healthy marriage relationship. Friendships are actually the foundation of a healthy dating and healthy marriage relationships. And they're all rooted in the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've probably heard it read at a wedding before. All right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not, it, it does not, uh, sorry. Uh, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The reality is, is that Jesus actually describes this type of love in friendship. He actually says, no greater love than a man has than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. In other words, that this is not, we, we hear this at weddings a lot, so we associate it with the romantic, like, uh, ooh, you know, like, you know, uh, attractional love. This is a love that actually you are called to exhibit this type of love as a follower of Jesus in every single one of your friendships. And so if this is what love actually is, if this is what friendship should look like, friendship becomes very powerful. Now, how many people know that your friends have influence over your lives? Yeah, right? Uh, my dad used to give me this warning whenever I would go out with my buddies in high school. He would say, Steve, remember, every time you add a friend to your, like, little group that's going out and doing something together, you are actually decreasing the brain power associated with that group. <laughs> you see, when you get two guys together... You don't double the brain power. You actually cut the brain power in half. Two men operating together are actually operating at 50% the brain capacity of the average human being. All right? When you add another man to the mix, you don't divide it by three. You actually have to divide it in half again. So a group of three is actually operating at 25% brain capacity. I had four really close friends, and so when we would hang out, my dad would always inform me that, you know, one divided by two, divided by two, divided by two, divided by two, we were operating at somewhere in the neighborhood of 
the operational brain capacity of the average human being. And we all, we all know that this is true. And girls, you, listen, I don't even know what happens when girls hangs out, okay? I just, I know things happen, all right? My wife tells me that, you know, things happen. And I, I don't really know. But what I'm trying to say is that your friends have influence over you. And it has been said that if you show me your three closest relationships, I will show you who you will be in your future, Right? The reality is, is that our relationships have influence over us, and the Bible actually has a great deal to say about godly friendship. And this is what happens in small groups. Nicole talked about cupcakes. I've never seen cupcakes at a guy's small group. Uh, we should change that, actually. Uh, if a girl's small group wanted to make cupcakes for a guy's small group, uh, you know, th th that might be a nice thing. Um, it would definitely smell better in a guy's small group if that happened. Uh, <laughs> there was fresh baked goods there. But small groups are not just about cupcakes. They're about true, lasting, influential friendships that have depth, that spur each other on towards love and good deeds, as the Bible says, that make you step more into the fullness of your God-given destiny. And the world has a lot to say about friendships. You see, the world loves to give us the counter to friendships. Which the counter offer to friendship is isolation. And if the devil can get you isolated, he can kind of get you to do whatever he wants you to do. But the world also offers us counterfeit friendship, which is friendship that is shallow and doesn't actually get to any type of depth that can actually start to change and develop your character. Or counterfeit friendship that actually changes your character. It just changes it in a way that you never wanted it to be changed. Godly friendship is going to go to a depth in your life that forces you to address the real character issues that are going to spur you on to become all that God created you to be. And in the Bible, we have a great example of this type of friendship between two dudes. Their names are David and Jonathan. Now, many of you have probably heard of David. If uh, you, uh, You've probably at least heard of the story of David and Goliath. This dude, this little guy who goes against a giant, hits him in the face with a rock. The giant dies, and the army is defeated, and David is the hero. That's the David we're talking about. A lesser-known person in the Bible is his best friend, and his best friend, his name is Jonathan. And Jonathan and David have a complicated friendship because, to put a little context in this story, you got to understand the context to understand why this friendship was so powerful. See, Saul was the king, was this dude who was the king of Israel at the time. And David had been slotted to become the next king of Israel. David was not related to Saul in any way, shape, or form. But the prophet Samuel had anointed David to become king once Saul was done. Jonathan was the king's son. You see where it gets awkward? You see, in royal family lines, usually the son would take over and become king for his dad once his dad passed away. But in this circumstance, an interesting thing, God was doing an interesting thing. 
he had taken somebody else and said, I'm going to make this family line the king over Israel instead. So on paper, as we read this, David and Jonathan should be mortal enemies. They should want each other dead. Why? Because Jonathan would be David's biggest threat to the throne that was rightfully his. And Jonathan's biggest threat to having a legacy and carrying on his dad's legacy would have been David. And instead of mortal enemies, we find two people who are arguably the best friends that we can possibly find in Scripture. And we're going to read about them in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 through 4, and then again in chapter 20. So it says this, Oh, by the way, to further complicate things, um, Saul was getting older, and in his old age, he started to grow jealous of David and wanted to murder him. All right, so there you go. All right. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, right? If you're, like, watching a documentary, you're like, sure, <laughs> they took some creative liberties here. No, they didn't. This, was a this actually happened. So after David had finished talking with Saul... This is verse or chapter 18, verse 1. He met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and would let him return home, or wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, what the heck's going on here, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Okay. What I want to do tonight is I want to pull some things from this friendship that if we apply to our own friendships in our lives, we will engage in healthy, godly friendship that is going to push us more towards Jesus and push our friends more towards Jesus. And we're going to go through the four C's of powerful friendship. And the first, friend, the first C of powerful friendship is common unselfishness. Common unselfishness. What do I mean by that? No greater love than a, that a man has than this, than to lay down his life or her life for their friends. Again, David and Jonathan should have hated each other. But instead, the two people chose friendship. This act of Jonathan taking off his robe and handing it to David, what, why is that significant, right? Well, because you give him the shirt off his back. Yeah, yes, right? Uh, but it's actually more than that. You see, that robe that Jonathan was wearing, because he was in the royal family, would have been a royal robe. It would have been signifying his position as a member of the royal family. And so for him to take off his royal garments and hand them to David, he is saying, I am laying down my rights and my privileges, knowing full well that you have been anointed by God to be the next king. I'm laying down my pride, I'm laying down my preferences, and I'm laying down my future for you. That's pretty powerful. You see, friends, true friendship says, I am not going to look at this friendship as to what I can get from it, but what can I give to it? Relationships, true, godly, healthy relationships cannot be derived and start from a place of selfishness. Love could be defined this way. 
unselfishly moving towards someone else with their best interest in mind. I'm going to say that again. Love is unselfishly moving towards someone else with their best interest in mind. If you need something from the other person, you need fulfillment, you need to, them to call you back, you need them to text you, you need them to hang out with you, you whatever, right? You are going to be disappointed. But if you go into a relationship looking to see what you can give, you're going to have joy. Often in ministry, this happens um, from time to time. We have somebody show up to Chi Alpha and they, we go get coffee and they say, Steve, I'm, I'm so glad I found Chi Alpha. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm glad you found Kai Alpha too. No, you don't understand. I used to be part of this other ministry, and they're doing everything wrong. And Kai Alpha, they're doing it right. And that pastor over there, they said this, and they said that, and that was really bad. And, 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 and Kai Alpha, you, Steve, you're, you're the real deal. And I look at them, and you know what I know? Is that six months to a year from now, they'll be mad at me looking for another ministry, saying, you know that Chi Alpha, they do things wrong, and that Steve, he's mean. Why? Because this is more than likely a pattern in their life. If they left one place because they were selfish, more than likely their selfishness is going to follow them here unless the Lord intervenes. This is how you end up a church hopper. This is how you end up having lots of broken relationships in your life and developing a pattern of broken relationships. But Jesus can change this because Jesus teaches us how to love unselfishly. He teaches us how, by example, to lay down our lives. Now, I want to put a disclaimer out there. Notice this point is common unselfishness. I don't know if we can put that back up. The reason I included that word, common unselfishness, is because both parties need to be unselfish. So if you're in a friendship and somebody is emotionally manipulative or emotionally abusive, and you say, oh, I just need to be less selfish. No, 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 no. True godly friendship is when both parties involved are healthy enough to be unselfish in that friendship. And if you're in a, in a relationship, you're for a friendship with somebody that is being selfish, there might need to be a boundary that gets made. See, this is why I encourage every single person to, to uh, like, get a big group of roommates before you get married. All right? Why? Because it is, it is the testing ground for whether or not you're going to make it as a spouse. And the more people you add to the mix, the more complicated it gets, the more personalities you have been tested to live with, right? So you go over to the cove, right? You've probably seen some of the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? <laughs> A pile of shoes as you walk in smells sometimes, right? And those things need to be addressed. When I was in college, I learned how to be unselfish by living with a bunch of people. 
And my college roommates, I, I lived with a lot of them because I got married a little bit, uh, well, I got married later in life than a lot of my friends. And so, uh, like, uh, there was just always this rotating rotating thing in my college apartments where it's like, oh, we married so-and-so off. We got to pr- bring somebody else in, right? And we'd marry another one off and we'd bring him back in. We'd marry another one off and we'd bring him back in. I could tell you lots of roommate stories. My one in particular that I really loved was when my friend Kyle Cuppy was living with me. Kyle Cuppy uh, was about my height. He was very well built. He was kind of like a, he was a football player type. He consumed, no joke, on average 4,000 calories worth of food every single day. He cooked himself a steak almost every single night, and he deep fried some portion of his meal almost every single day. Never gained a pound either. It was amazing. The metabolism on that guy, he was a high-octane machine, right? Burning the calories. And eventually, I was like, Kyle, why do you, why do you deep fry so much, right? Like, and he's always running the deep fryer. Well, eventually, uh, people started to smell Kyle's deep frying on all, all of our clothes. And I would walk up to somebody and give him a hug on camera. He's like, hey, bro, how you doing? Like, Steve, you smell like the state fair. <laughs> you say hi to somebody else. You're like, Steve, you've been eating McDonald's a lot? And I'm trying to get a girlfriend here, right? So finally, what did I have to do? I finally had to talk to Kyle, and I had to say, hey, Kyle, we got to find a place of compromise with the deep frying, right? You are compromising my ability to get a girlfriend in Chi Alpha right now. And the conclusion we came to is that he could continue to deep fry as long as the deep fryer stayed on the deck. Now, that's a ridiculous example, but the point I'm trying to make is this, is that every friendship that you have is actually training you in unselfishness. And the more you press into those things, the more you're going to be trained in unselfishness. The closer you get to people, the more your selfishness will be revealed. All right, let's move on to the second C which is confidence in vulnerability. Confidence in vulnerability. In this example of David and Jonathan, we see Jonathan do something really interesting in this story. Not only does he give him his robe, laying down his rights, privileges, and his preferences, he gives him his tunic, his belt, and his bow, and his sword. What do you do with a bow and a sword? You attack people. So if I give you my only weaponry, what I'm saying is that, listen, I realize that you could take this sword, and now I am not only, I don't have a robe on, I don't have a belt on, I have no way to defend myself. So what I'm communicating to you is that I trust you completely and fully that you're not going to pick up my sword and take this opportunity to literally stab me and do away with me, and now there's no obstacle between you and the throne. This is what vulnerability is. Vulnerability, by definition, is putting yourself in a position in which you are capable of being wounded. So if I go to Micah and I share a struggle that I'm having with Micah. I have given Micah the ability to wound me. Why? Because Micah can take that information and tell Evan and say, 
you'll never guess what Steve is struggling with, right? Unbelievable. He can take that information and do whatever he wants to with it. He can take that information and he can change his opinion about me as well. He can take that information and never talk to me again. That is vulnerability. I have given him the ability to wound me. You see, when we engage in godly friendship, the Bible has a lot to say about how we are to kind of share what's going on in our lives with each other. James 5 says that we are to confess our sins to one another and we will be healed. 1 Peter 4 says that we are to cover over a multitude of sins with love when people share things with us. Galatians 6 tells us to bear one another's burdens. Romans 12 says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In other words, we're not supposed to be polished and have it all together and pretend like everything is okay and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, puppy dogs and candy canes, we're good to go, and uh, everything is going to be okay. No, we're called by Scripture to say, this is what's really going on in my life. This is what I'm really struggling with. This is what I'm really walking through. This is what I'm really mourning over. And when we do that, it's painful because we give the other person a glimpse into the part of our lives that aren't as lovable. But you see, friends, God does not put us in community for us to gain love and acceptance from people. He puts us in community, godly community, to be reminded that we are already loved and accepted by him to a depth that we could never even begin to fully understand. You see, God fully knows you. He knows everything about you, and he fully loves you. If you just want to, like, spend, spend an hour just, like, digesting that for a second, right? God fully knows you. He knows everything about you, and he fully loves you. When we engage in Christian friendship, we engage in godly community, when we engage in godly friendship and we say, hey, I'm going to let this person know me, we give them the ability to know me and love me with the love of Christ. And we give them the ability to reflect the nature and character of God who fully loves me and fully knows me at the same time. And in that, we build trust. And trust is a foundation for relationship. So if you're here today and you say, oh, I've been burnt by relationships in the past. I've been burnt. I've, I've shared things, and people have betrayed my trust. If you have a fear of rejection, if there's something that you're like, I don't know if I ever even want to go there with anybody ever again. Maybe you're here tonight, and you have what I call Alaska syndrome, which says that, hey, I am strong, and I am independent, and I don't need help from anybody, right? Independency is not rooted in strength, friends. It's actually rooted in insecurity. That's the reality. Independency is not rooted in strength. It is rooted in an insecurity. If you have the inability to ask somebody for help, it is not because you are strong. It is because you are fearful of being weak. And I know that because Steve struggles with that. <laughs> when I was a college freshman, my small group leader, his name was Dave Leadall. Dave invited me over for steaks one day. Steaks. 
Like, you just want to cook me a steak? Why? I couldn't figure it out. What I didn't realize was that Dave wanted to, like, pour into my life. And he wanted to, like, start a friendship that was deeper than just watching the Minnesota Vikings together. And... (laughs) All right. Are you cheering for friendship or are you cheering for Vikings? All of the above. Good. And up to that point, really none of my friendships had ever gone beyond the depth of, like, you know, the girls that we liked or the what like the latest thing that was happening in the ESPN world, right? And Dave wanted to invite me over to have steaks to ask me questions about my life, who I was and where I came from and what I was struggling with and what the Lord was teaching me. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. So you know what I did? I said, hey, can my roommate come? Because that was my coping mechanism to not have to talk about deep things with Dave. Because if my roommate was there, I knew that we weren't going to have to go deep. We could just keep it at the Vikings level. You know what I'm saying? And slowly but surely, I started to learn how to value the fact that true friendship was actually, vulnerability was going to push me more towards Jesus. Which leads me to the third C, which is common purpose. You see, Dave wanted to be united with me in common purpose. That common purpose was for me to step into the fullness of my God-given destiny. Jonathan knew that David's God-given destiny was to be king over Israel. And because of that, he pushed David into that. And he said, no, 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 listen, you... I don't care what my dad is doing. I don't care how crazy he is. You've been anointed, and I'm going to help you get there. I don't care what obstacle is going on. I'm going to help you get there. Are your closest friendships fighting for you to step into the fullness of your God-given destiny? And is that, now I want you to hear this. Are your closest friendships pushing you in a way that's implied or being applied? Meaning that's like, oh yeah, like this person's a Christian, I'm a Christian, we're friends. But is that person actually pushing you more towards Jesus? Is it just implied that you're both kind of headed in the same direction? Or is that friendship actually applying a little bit of good pressure on you to be more like Jesus? There's a difference. Good friends don't just imply that they want you to follow Jesus. They actually apply some pressure to your life to follow Jesus more. And when we're engaged in a common purpose, a powerful thing happens. How many of you have ever, uh, do you guys know what type 2 fun is? Anybody? All right, type 1 fun is fun in the moment. Type 2 fun, like, stinks in the moment. But when you look back on it, you're like, that was actually pretty sweet. Have you ever engaged in type 2 fun with your friends and become closer because you engaged in something hard together? Common struggle is very powerful. Paul was here speaking last week and spoke our encounter. Paul and I have been through a lot of type 2 fun together. I have almost died with that man more than every other human being on planet Earth combined. We have floated 50 miles of river without life jackets because we forgot them. We have started a four-wheeler on fire 40 miles away from the nearest road. 
And I don't know why I did this, but I literally got down and I blew on the fire like as if I was going to put it out, like a birthday candle, right? The gas line, after we got the, the, the fire put out, the gas line was literally charred. We were that close to exploding a four-wheeler in the middle of the uh, interior of Alaska. <laughs> I have been caught in the worst windstorm I've ever been caught in with Paul on Kodiak Island. We almost died. Obviously, that's the theme of the story. Uh, one time we were out camping and a windstorm came up and trees started falling around us. Like, no joke. Like, a tree almost fell on me and killed me. All right? Uh, you're probably wondering, like, Steve, it's probably time to be done adventuring with Paul, all right? We've been charged by bears, by, by bears together. I mean, listen, we've been in some of the worst seas on the ocean that I've ever seen together. And I will tell you this, that Paul is one of my very dearest, bestest buddies in the entire world. Because we've been through common struggle, not just in the Alaskan wilderness, but we've been doing ministry together now for 10 years. And we have been in a common purpose, common struggle for the kingdom of God together for 10 years. And here's what I know about my brotherhood about Paul, is that he will not let me settle for anything less than what the fullness that God has for me in my God-given destiny. I am vulnerable with him when I'm struggling with things. I say, yeah, I was kind of a complete dork, Lauren, to, uh, <laughs> I was a dork to Aaron this week. And Paul will make sure that I don't, he doesn't just come and pat me on the back and say, that's okay, we're all dorks sometimes. <laughs> no, he pushes me. He doesn't just pat, he pushes me towards love and good deeds. He says, Steve, I love you. And I think you got to do something about that. Have you apologized to Aaron for that? Well, you know, well, I don't know. I was like, well, yeah, I think you know what you need to do. Yeah, shut up, you know? <laughs> are your friends patting or are your friends pushing? Maybe you're here tonight and it's hard for you to accept encouragement. It's hard for you to accept correction. It's hard for you to see the bigger picture other than just yourself. God wants to bring you friends that have a common purpose. And the fourth and final C, and the worship team can come back up, is conflict resolution. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're just, we're just going to skip this one, all right? No. Okay, so let's fast forward in this relationship between David and Jonathan. Things get kind of hairy. So Saul's jealousy grows, and so Saul is literally looking for an opportunity to kill David. Again, Saul is Jonathan's dad. Awkward. I don't know what kind of conflicts you've experienced, but unless your dad is actively trying to murder your friend, you probably haven't been quite as in intensive a situation as this, right? Okay. So David goes to Jonathan. He says, what have I done? What, what is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan persisted. You're not going to die. 
He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. There's a little argument going on here. No, your dad's trying to kill me. No, I don't think he is. I'm pretty sure he is. This is gold. Like, this is drama gold right here. All right. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan, why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. Jonathan, I need you to trust me. Your dad is actually trying to kill me. Jonathan looks at him and says, tell me what I can do to help you. <laughs> that is, this is so cool. Like what an incredible friendship. So they devise this little plan, and in verse 8, it says, Show me this loyalty as my sworn friend, for we have made a solemn pact before the Lord, or kill me yourself if I have sinned against your father, but please don't betray me to him. In other words, David says, Jonathan, I love you, bro, but I'm having a really hard time trusting you right now. I need to hear it again that we're best buddies and that there's nothing you would do to harm me. Never, Jonathan exclaimed. You know that if I had the slightest notion my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you at once. Verse 16. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, may the Lord destroy all your enemies. Which is an interesting thing to say, because right now, Saul, his own father, was David's enemy. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Hey, David, kind of hurt that you didn't trust me. Can you just reaffirm again that we're good, that we're buddies, that I got nothing to worry about? My friends, this is how we are called as men and women of God to handle conflict in our lives. Not to run away from it, but to run towards it. Instead of believing the worst about Jonathan, David chose to believe the best. Had he believed the worst, yeah, he was struggling with this belief, but if he believed the worst, he would have never went and talked to him. Because he would have been assured that surely Jonathan is trying to, is going to kill me. If I talk to him again, he's going to kill me. And he would have ran. If Jonathan, instead of staying hurt, Jonathan fought to reestablish relationship. My friends, we are called by God as men and women of God to choose to believe the best about those that have wronged us and fight to reestablish relationship, not to run away from it. And my closest friendships, I'm going to go back to my friendship with Paul. Oh, man, we can fight like brothers. I'm not going to lie. And some of my most intense non-sibling conflict has been with that man. And time and time again, the devil has tried to destroy our ministry partnership with conflict. And time and time again, I've sat with Paul Sometimes two grown men crying together 
saying, Paul, I refuse to let the devil destroy something beautiful. We got to get this figured out. I've apologized. I've asked for forgiveness because I've wronged him. And in that, he and I, I believe, have accomplished more for the kingdom of God together than what we ever could have apart. I'm a better man today because of that friendship than what I would be had I just said, see you later. I don't want to deal with any of this. And my friends, this is, these are the types of friendships that God wants you to pursue. We're going to close tonight with some worship. But I'm going to ask that, that you would be brave tonight. I'm not going to force you to do this, but I'm going to ask that you be brave tonight and find somebody to pray with. Maybe it's simple prayer for like, hey, could you just pray that I wouldn't be selfish? Maybe it's an opportunity tonight to finally be vulnerable about something that you've never been vulnerable about. And your small group leader or somebody in your small group sit next to you and be like, hey, I'm, I just want to share this with you. Maybe it's an invitation to your small group leader to invite, invite them into fighting for common purpose in their life. Hey, I just want to admit that I've, I, I've, I've been wanting you to pat me on the back, and every time you've tried to push me more towards Jesus, I've resisted. Maybe you need somebody to pray for you for that tonight. And maybe you need some prayer for courage to resolve some conflict. But I'm just going to ask that you'd be brave and that every single person would find somebody to pray with. Kyle, the staff's going to be in the back to pray with people. You can pray with each other as well. But as we close in a song or two of worship, let's just turn this space into a space for prayer and for a reflection of what the Lord is doing. Let's pray. Jesus, would you be with us in these next few moments as we pray? Would we engage in godly friendship both tonight and in the weeks, months, and years, and decades to come? God, I am believing that there are some friendships that are going to be started this semester that will literally be friendships that will rest last for the rest of these people's lives. What a beautiful thing it is. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be able to engage in those types of friendships. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and find somebody to pray with. And uh, if as you reflect you need to worship, just go ahead and worship the Lord. The worship team is going to lead us and we'll be available for prayer.